Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. We're here to promote and to defend public education. Public education is for the common good, not the private good. It should be public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it should be open to all children, no matter what ground or the belief system of their parents or the bank balance of their parents. We should give every single child in this country, whether they are born in this country, whether they have, have uh, people who have been in this country for 40,000 years, or whether they have just arrived uh, out of a war-torn country, every child in this country should learn to grow up together in a public school which is well-funded and gives them the best education that we can possibly give them. Now, to do this, we should have schools that are publicly owned and controlled, publicly funded, the only ones that are publicly funded because they are the only ones for the common wheel or the common good, not the private good, and they should be provided by every so-called democratic government in this country. Now, we know this isn't the case. We have a, um, and we're going to do something about it, and we've been trying to do something about it, and we'll continue to do something about it. We have a website at www.adogs.info and if you go to that now, www.adogs.info, you will find a press release 617, which says the following. Malcolm Turnbull is a member of and servant of the wealthy corporate and religious sector. So, dogs do not expect any change of educational policy from the new Prime Minister. Malcolm Bly Turnbull has travelled a long way from his earliest primary education at Vaucluse Public School. He was only there for a few years. A scholarship and a boarder at Sydney Grammar and his Sydney and Oxbridge University training. Public schools can expect very little consideration from Turnbull. His experience of schools for the common good rather than private privilege is exceedingly limited. On his journey to the Lodge, and Turnbull has had a very well-organised journey to the Lodge, and he's managed to finally get there. He's concentrated on having a foot in the camps of the wealthy and the powerful, until, with great wealth, because next to Palmer, he is the wealthiest man in the Parliament, he has become a member of both. A scholarship boy from Sydney Grammar and Catholic convert from Presbyterianism, Turnbull has limited experience and no feeling for the values of public education. Now, why do we say this? We've got evidence. In his very first speech to the Parliament in 2004, listeners remember 2004, when he decided he was going to Parliament and kicked out Mr King, I think it was, in the uh, Wentworth electorate where he lived. It was a very nasty business. That's 2004, and he got into Parliament, and he gave his maiden speech. And he took the part of the poor, struggling private school parents, as opposed to disadvantaged children, as follows. Like most children who live in Wentworth, my father chose to send me to an independent school. I boarded at Sydney Grammar from the age of eight, as my father 
a hotel broker, travelled around New South Wales on business. Sometimes when I was at home on school holidays, he would take me with him, often to complete a stock take before a pub was sold. I was counting beer glasses long before I was old enough to drink out of them. My father found paying the school fees was often a struggle, but he chose to postpone other things like buying a flat of our own so that I could go to the school he chose for me. This came back to me vividly when the election campaign was in full swing and the Labour Party was declaring that so-called elite schools deserved little or no government funding. I knew exactly what parents that policy would hurt the most. The battlers, the renters, the Bruce Turnbulls of today who choose to sacrifice personal comforts so they can give their children the education they have chosen for them. Please note he said nothing about Vaucluse Public School there. Dogs see the changing of the guard at the lodge. Well, actually, Mr Abbott never lived in the lodge, did he? Well, so let's say dogs see the changing of the guard in Canberra as a decision within the ranks of the Institute of Public Affairs that Abbott, a member of the new DLP coalition establishment, was unable to massage their right-wing agenda for a gullible electorate. But the IPA, that's the Institute of Public Affairs, which, by the way, was set up by uh, Menzies uh, a long time ago uh, to counter the um, reconstruction program of the Labor Party after the war. Now, this Institute of Public Affairs, which let's really call it for what it is, it's an institute of private corporate affairs, they see Malcolm Turnbull, on the other hand, as opposed to Abbott, who's a member of both the old establishment and the new, given that he's a Presbyterian converted to Roman Catholicism of his wife's family, they see him as a more skilful corporate salesman. Now, Turnbull has arrived... He was a servant of, but he has finally arrived in the born-to-rule set some time ago. This was evidenced by the treatment meted out to the sitting member for Wentworth when Turnbull decided that he would be the member for this Blue Ribbon seat in 2004 because Turnbull had both the wealth and the connections to unseat this well-respected, long-serving member. According to Wikipedia... In 2005, the combined net worth of Malcolm and Lucy Turnbull, who, by the way, Lucy was the, um, the daughter of the Attorney General Hughes, their combined net worth was $133 million, And this made him Australia's richest parliamentarian until the election of billionaire Clive Palmer in the 2013 elections. He made, Turnbull made the BWR rich list for the second year running in 2010. So this uh, wealth has not gone away. It's almost certainly accumulated. And although he slipped from 182 to 197 as the richest man in one of the richest people in Australia, his estimated net worth had increased by 2010 and remember, we'd had the global financial crisis in this period of time as $186 million. And he continued to be the only sitting politician to make this list until Clive Palmer got into Parliament. So it's all very interesting, isn't it? Uh, dogs uh, don't uh, expect too much from Malcolm Turnbull. But let's have a think about what we do know about him because I, I think that the Australian electorate have got a, a, a very short memory. Uh, he has been in Parliament for some time. So where does he stand on a lot of things? He was the Minister for the Environment and the Water in the Howard Government in 2007 and he was elected leader of the Liberal Party in September 2008 and at that stage, he became the leader of the opposition. In November 2009, 
His support for the Carbon Pollution Reduction Scheme, which was proposed by the Labor government, split the Liberal Party. So Turnbull supported an emissions trading scheme or reduction scheme that was put up by Rudd. But the right wing and the uh, country party and others in the Liberal Party would not tolerate this. So in a ballot the following month, Turnbull lost the leadership to Tony Abbott by one vote. Now, he initially intended to leave politics, but he remained an MP and he eventually became the Minister for Communications in the Abbott government in September 1913. Now, I have a theory about some politicians uh, from the Joan Kerner years. I noticed that when a politician really made a mess of a portfolio, uh, because they were skidding on very thin ice and they were good at skidding on thin ice, they'd then be promoted uh, up the level, up another level uh, because of the Murphy's Law, I believe it's the, uh, you get promotion to your level of incompetence. So I'm just wondering after the real mess that the Liberal Party and Turnbull have made of the NBM scheme, uh, because I'm not sure that he ever did cost uh, copper wires. I'm just wondering whether or not this is just another instance about that. But we've just seen him challenge Abbott for the Liberal leadership. And once again, the Liberal Party is divided. He only won 54 votes to Abbott's 44. Admittedly, Abbott only beat him by one uh, in the earlier ballot, but... Um, it's very interesting what will go on because uh, I know that Robert is wondering whether or not the DLPers in the Liberal Party uh, will do what they did to the Labor Party, namely split it in two because um, Turnbull is not sitting really on a united party, however much they are telling us they are united. And we are now dealing with a Prime Minister who is battling, batting down the hatches, particularly on his environment policy. And we have no reason to believe that he will go back to what Abbott uh, promised before the last election, that the Gonski funding would not be cut. So uh, it's a very interesting time uh, that we're living in uh, in Australia. He's also... Um, was the leader of the Republican movement, which is very interesting, but I'm not sure that at the present moment he's going to uh, jump into that. And it's going to be also very interesting to see whether or not he will bury the hatchet with Murdoch and give Murdoch what he wants with the control of our media. Uh, so you have to remember that in his position as Environment Minister, he approved a $1.7 billion Bell Bay pulp mill in Tasmania's north near Launceston uh, to guns. Well, the Tasmanians have dealt with that rather nicely. Um, and he was criticised also in 2007 for claiming a government allowance of $175 a night and paying it to his wife as rent while living in a townhouse owned by her in Canberra. So, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's up to all the cutest. He's a pretty cute guy. And, uh, well, just, just, um, wait and see what happens. But, uh, dogs are not terribly excited about the change in Canberra. Uh, Mr. Shorten may not be too excited about it either, but, um, dogs are just sitting back and watching and stating what we have always believed in, that the only way uh, forward in education in Australia is through an education system which is free, secular and universal. So that's enough for me for the moment. Uh, Thank you very much, Jean. You're listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Dogs, the defenders of government schools. Um, we defend them because they're being attacked. We'll have more Dogs Programs um, after these messages. 
Home is Where the Art Is, an exhibition of works by artists living in community housing, is taking place from the 22nd of September until the 4th of October. Head to the Gasworks in Albert Park, Mondays to Saturdays, 9.30am to 4pm. This project is supported by Gasworks, the City of Port Phillip and Melbourne Fringe. Port Phillip Housing Association is a 3CR supporter. Thank you, Your Worship. The Marxist Cowboys is a short, subversive uh, film about the alleged criminal activities of the Marxist Victorian Labor College over a 40-year period, uh, Your Worship. And it is all true. Listen, mate, I'm facing a few criminal charges. Yeah, 325 fraud charges. Oh, they're all bullshit, mate. I was shocked. It has a cast of malcontents, including one Karl Marx. This bit of subversion will be shown with two other bits of subversion at 3CR on Monday the 5th of October at 7pm, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Check the website if you need more criminal ideas of crime. Just be there. I know I will be. Thank you, Your Honour. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Um, yes, we're here to defend government uh, schools because they need defending. Um, Jean's been talking about the federal political sphere in our introduction to our program today, and I think she does that in um, good spirit because we have to have a sort of watching brief, as we always do on federal politics. I think fundamentally um, Australia has rid itself of a leader of a party who had extreme far-right tendencies. And the Australian polity, that is the people of Australia, are not necessarily all far-right. So um, I suppose there's an idea that things have been brought back a little to the centre with the um, assumption of power by um, uh, Malcolm Turnbull. But here at Dogs, we, as Jean quite rightly points out, have a watching brief on that. Um, Power is as power does, and so we shall see indeed who the education minister is going to be. It's been Christopher Pine. He's been a disaster since he's been in power, and we'll see who pops up in the next couple of weeks and certainly be reporting on that. But today on the DOS program, we're going to do an in-depth investigation on the nature of the way business, um, someone that Malcolm Turnbull represents in spades and is quite happy to, the relationship that business has with education in Australia. We often call them free marketeers because in education there is money to be made. And um, there's been a very interesting article in The Age, and we've done some digging ourselves here at the Dogs Program, on what's happening specifically in the vocational education sector in Australia, and not just Australia, but Victoria. What's happened over the last quite short while, maybe five or six years, is that for vocational education, um, the TAFE sector has been fundamentally gutted, and having been gutted, the government money isn't going to TAFE colleges, it's going to private providers. Now, the ideology behind this is that business will deliver education more cheaply and more efficiently than any government provider of education. Rubbish. Uh, absolute rubbish. In fact, demonstrable rubbish. Um, and I'm, we're going to do a little expose here on, on a case study that's, that's just popped up in Victoria. And this is one case study, but these case studies have been popping up over the last couple of years, time and time again. And these case studies represent something that can not be described as anything else other than corruption. Now, when a businessman takes money from the government and does bad things with it, it's called sharp practice. Um, but it's not just sharp practice, it's corruption. When a businessman maximises the amount of money that that businessman can make out of the education of the people of this nation, that's considered to be a bad thing, but it doesn't seem to be anywhere near as bad as perhaps union officials um, being corrupt in one way or another. And I'd just like to talk about this because it has very significant implications. Because if our current Labor government, and indeed our federal government, are willing to put money into education, but only put money into education if it flows through the business community, then we as Australians have a big, significant, long-term and perhaps generational problem. Now, I'm referring specifically to an article which was published in The Age on the September the 17th by Michael Blanchard, Henrietta Cook and Matthew Knott, three authors at The Age who spent some time in the education field. And it relates to, in fact, what happened when a salesman... Um, whose name was Nikki, uh, Nikhil Talwar. And he was a prospective salesman. He walked into, the, into some offices and he wanted some money. Now, Talwar says, he says, you will see a real chunk of money 
without any F dot 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 up in a video which was secretly recorded earlier this month in Victoria. Now, what does this mean, all this swearing going on on, on, on secret tapes? Secret tapes have been made into the offices of a private provider of education services in Victoria. Now, when he said this, um, the people, and I quote, we have people who sign up 10 customers. Now, let's go back to this customer idea. 10 customers per week, and we give $800 per customer who is signed up, which will make you $8,000 per week, which is 32 grand in a month. And if you do the sums, that's a great deal of money per year for a salesman who's signing up customers. But Talwa and his customers aren't involved in selling yachts or apartments or cars or property or anything like that. He, in fact, runs a company, which is based in Footscray, that sells vocational education. It's, in fact, Australia's fastest-growing industry by far, and every cent of the money that this person is promising to the salesperson comes from you, you, dear listeners, if you pay tax, and then you are paying this man's commission. Now, Nikhil Tawa was actually secret filmed, secretly filmed as part of this process. But we'll go on to in, in this investigation because last year, the system of vocational education cost the Commonwealth $1.3 billion in subsidies. And this cost is rising so fast that the cost is projected to rise to $4 billion in 2015. This must be related to the young man who came to my front door last week and was trying to sell me one of these uh, these uh, vocational courses in Footscray. Indeed. How interesting. He was he was obviously a young man who who needed the job, and I felt very sorry for him. He seemed to be one of these four, five, seven visa young people. Uh, and he really tried very hard to sell this old lady uh, a course for her children. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, you know, since many years ago, there was this whole idea of Labor's home insulation debacle with um, Peter Garrett and such. The selling of online diplomas has become the quickest get-rich scheme in Australia today. Mm. Call centres, door-to-door salespersons, that's what you're talking about there, Jean. Yes. And so-called aggregators are all marketing online courses. This is online courses to new students. Now, clearly, admits the Federal Minister, Simon Birmingham, this scheme is structured in a way that made it susceptible to shonks and fraudsters. (laughs) Well, I'm going to continue with the article. Any private education is uh, open to shonks and fraudsters, Robert. I think once you put the education of the nation in the hands of business people whose primary motive is to is to generate profit from their business, by definition, you can call them shonks, you can call them fraudsters, you can even call them good business people. But that's all the same thing. Now, the Federal Minister, Birmingham, has introduced some reforms. Um, and in March, the Commonwealth banned salespeople offering free laptops or iPads to people that are signing up these courses. But six months later... Talwa, this fellow who was secretly recorded, uh, brushes this new rule aside as he runs through his sales spiel to a potential salesman. And he says, and I quote, we give a free laptop. (laughs) This is after John Birmingham says this doesn't happen. Now, in a later response to questions from Fairfax Media, Talwa denied this, but he said it, he denied saying it, saying that the device is a loan only and students are told they have to give it back, and we expect them to give it back. Did my granddaughter give hers back, ever? I'm not quite sure she did, because oh, I know that she your, grand, your granddaughter was um, subject to this whole process several years ago, wasn't it? It's been going on for some time. Yes, I want to know what her debt is. But let's get to the in-depth, because I want to talk about Arthur and Jacinta Easton, because they were people who were involved in this process as people who were signed up to a vocational education program. Now, this couple, this is Arthur and Jacinta, live in a housing commission unit in Euroa, and they both have intellectual disabilities. Now, in April, after Birmingham has said he had put these reforms in place, they were door-knocked by a salesman. So, after Birmingham says there's no more door-knocking and free iPads, they were door-knocked. They were door-knocked by a salesman representing Melbourne's Phoenix Institute, part of the same group that Talwar represents. 
Well, if you know anything about phoenixes, I don't think I'd be signing up to them. <laughs> um, but anyway, this particular salesman was told about their disabilities, but was undeterred. You're referring to mythical animals, aren't you? Yes, well... I don't think these people are mythical. I think they're something else. I think there's something very very rotten in the state of Victoria, actually, because if we, if we read on in it, into this article, which was published in The Age, the salesman then told, after being told about their disabilities, was undeterred. In the comfort of their living room, he offered them a free laptop and a free qualification. When they struggled with literacy and numeracy tests in the application form... He helped them. Now, Jacinta said, they were giving me the answers and when I didn't know them. Now, before long, the paperwork was done and she was enrolled to study a diploma of early childhood and education. The salesman also tried to enrol Arthur, who is 56 and struggles to read, in a business diploma at the Phoenix College. Um, Arthur said, I told them I had trouble reading, but they weren't interested in that. Now, according to the head of, former head of Holmes Glen TAFE, Bruce McKenzie, who is conducting a review into the Victorian, for the Victorian state government, even the most talented students struggle with online courses. He says, and I quote, and I'll be listening to this, studying online for a full diploma is a pretty sophisticated way of learning. You've got to be an independent learner. You've got to have strong computer skills, literacy skills and numeracy skills, which is not a characteristic of most VEST students. Now, the money that pays for all of this comes under the Commonwealth VET Fee Help Scheme, which acts a bit like HEX. And this allows students to delay low repayments until they earn more than 50 $4,000. It also takes them off the unemployment list, Rob. So our government is paying all these people to take these young people and others off the unemployment list. Yes, so the Commonwealth therefore expects that as much as $4 billion will be outlaid in 2015 and all of this, of course, apparently will be repaid. However, Arthur and Jacinta would have struggled to complete the course they were signed up to and as disability pensioners may never earn more than $54,000. The debt, however, would remain against their names. They have, by the way, since withdrawn from this course. But they still have the debt. So this is one example, okay, one example of Arthur and Jacinta who've been you know, shonkily sold something that they didn't want, didn't need, and they would still have this debt. This is one example, but targeting the poor and disadvantaged with the lure of a free laptop is in fact a deliberate tactic. Talwa recommends behind closed doors that his new salesman go to commission houses, anyone who can earn 54k or less a year. We all have to cross the boundary, he says. As long as I don't get a complaint in my ear and you have an F dot 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 N took a knife in your hand, we are laughing. Asked later about these comments, Tawa said he was talking about the physical boundaries of the neighbourhoods and he encourages his salesmen to, and I quote, go where they can find new customers. Now the Commonwealth scheme is uncapped and each sign-up earns about $18,000 in taxpayers' money for the college. From that money, 18000 colleges pay perhaps $5,000 to sales agents, such as Talwa, who in turn pay their door knockers up to $1,000 per sign-up. Now, it's a fully demand-driven system. It's a business, and at both state and federal levels. The incentive for colleges to sign up students in bulk is built in. The result is that people are being lumbered with debt by the thousands for courses they probably won't complete. It's growing so fast, the regular regulator, the Australian Skills Quality Authority, has no chance of keeping up. Now, in Melbourne's outer suburbs, people tell a salesman signing up entire shops full of overseas-born staff or trawling mosques and refugee communities, promising a free, no-hassle education. In one case highlighted in a recent Senate inquiry hearing, a Vietnamese-speaking salesperson descended on a community centre and signed up seven Vietnamese students to business diplomas. Some brokers even enrol people without their knowledge. 
one victim, who did not wish to be named for the report in The Age, told the Fairfax media he only became aware he'd been enrolled in a hospitality course after he'd received a call from a college. He has since unenrolled and is trying to wipe out his debt. Because once you're enrolled, you've got a debt. Is this what we're going to sell in this free trade agreement to China? Well, I'd just like to go on, Jean, because it gets worse. Now, people are turning up to sensitive workplaces such as aged care and childcare, childcare system, holding diplomas and certificates, but they have no actual skills. Now, in a recent review of the aged care industry, the Skills Authority found education providers delivering courses in under 200 hours, which should have taken 1,200 hours, and almost half of the registered training organisations had misleading information in their marketing material. Talwa, through his company, Education Circle, is just one tiny part of a sales machine which, despite the spiel, is not really selling education. They're selling signatures on pieces of paper and receiving taxpayers' money in return. Now, he, of course, denies this, and he says, I strongly believe that every Australian has the right to get educated and that can get them to work or a better job. But it's worth actually looking at his Facebook page, because before selling vocational education, Talwa spent time churning customers through electricity retailers. In that industry, an aggregated sales culture led to multi-million dollar fines imposed by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission against big companies such as Origin Energy. Following that, the industry cleaned up its act, and many of the people involved then simply moved into selling education. Now, I'd like to go back... I challenge any listener here who has a, a, a landline and who hasn't got blocking of calls. Uh, I get at least two or three calls about changing my energy company yep. or signing up to a course every day. I get lots and lots of Telstra calls, so-called, obviously from some either India or, um, or uh, Manila. And if I ask them where they're calling from, they always give me a place in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I mean, what's happened is, of course... They think the, we're stupid. Well, indeed. But as Talwa says on his Facebook page, when I was selling power, it was $100 per sale. Now I'm selling education, it's 1000 now, on Facebook, Tawa boasted recently to a friend about how quickly he could buy a new Tesla sports car. He says, Simon, you can buy this car in three months cash if you deal need to join my company, Education Circle. Now, he told Fairfax Media later that this was just a joke with a friend, for God's sake. Now, to continue, because this has implications right now. Now, the education salesman, Sandeep Sood, um, got himself a new Hummer out of it, um, just by the way. But another electricity salesman, uh, Mr. Sood, was once again in charge of the Origin Energy sales campaign for a company called Salesforce. Now, that campaign led last March to a $2 million fine imposed by the ACCC. Sood's new company is an education broker called Quantum Innovative Solutions. And, of course, he's proudly pictured uh, with his new um, Hummer on his Facebook. Um, when questioned by reporters, he refused to respond. Um, Gangadeep Sachdeva, who also once sold electricity, then also moved into education, and he got himself a new car out of it as well. Now, back to Phoenix. Phoenix was bought early this year by a shareholder-listed company called the Australian Careers Network for $4.5 million. A quiet, privately-owned institution running courses in holistic counselling and transpersonal art therapy suddenly added much more lucrative online courses in business, leadership, management and early childhood development. Now, the ACCC told Fairfax Media it was familiar with Phoenix Institute and some of the concerns raised about its activity. But Phoenix said, through a spokesperson, that it was cracking down on rogue salesmen, had sacked a number of agents since February and reported them to authorities. 
the spokesperson for Phoenix Institute, said instances of poor broker behaviour are now historical. We don't do that anymore. Now, Phoenix now interviews new students with a recorded phone call to ensure they have the capacity to undertake the study proposed, understand course requirements, and are aware of all financial obligations. Said Salesman um, said, Phoenix are very strict. He also said, we do not, under any circumstances, give away any incentives. But still, business of Phoenix owner um, is... Well, Still, the business of Phoenix owner, the, um, ACN, is actually growing quite fast. In July 30th, Financial Reports bo- boasted that its students' numbers had increased to 417, 417% from 5,000 students up to 26,000 students in 2015, with an average revenue yield per student. This is revenue. This is, this is profit of $3,303 per student. Now, federally, Minister Birmingham insisted to Fairfax Media that despite the problems, the bulk of people who undertake VET studies in Australia each year are getting high-quality training that is job-relevant and good value for money. Mackenzie, the ex-head um, of Homesland TAFE, disagrees. He says of a federal system that's grown in costing from $325 million in 2012 to $1.5 billion last year and then $4 billion expected this year, the problems are systemic. He says, look at the completion rate of students doing online courses using the fee-help system. Now, dear listeners, this for me is the most shocking statistic in the entire article. This isn't about anecdotes because the completion rate for these online courses is 5%. That's 1 in 20 students are actually completing a course. They've still got the debt, but 1 in 20, 5%, are actually completing. He says that speaks for itself, I think. It's also not serving Australia's need for trained workers. In 2013, enrolments in more popular, less useful courses exceeded labour market needs by over 188,000, while in areas of undersupply, there were 150,000 fewer enrolments than needed. Then there's the fraud. In Victoria, Mackenzie said, 10% of private providers are under investigation for material breaches of contract. That's code, by the way, for fraud. He says the whole business is just about getting students in, just driving students in, and no one really worries about whether students complete or not because no one has got any outcome measures at all. Well, these people aren't even trained educators, Robert. Uh, If you actually look at the people that they employ, they are not trained educators. What really is going on here? A 5% completion rate for private VET provision, that in itself is mind-boggling. Uh, how, can, how can any government say it's working when 5%, 5% of the people that enrol in the course pop out the other end with any form of degree? But how much more could the actual government-run uh, colleges do with those billions of dollars? I mean, I'm trying to do a course at um, the uh, CAE and I can't get the course because they don't have the money to run it. Uh, this is the really shocking thing, that this money, which is only just uh, giving poor people a huge debt that they will never be able to pay off, and putting our money, our taxpayers' money, into the pockets of fraudsters who want their Ferraris and their Humbers and all the rest of it, this money is being withdrawn from the very institutions which have been doing the job of training our children. I mean, it's really a national scandal. Yes, well, these... Well, I mean, that's absolutely right, because if a student drops out, you don't deal with a student, you just just enrol another one, because that's just more money for you. The whole process is just... You've created a business model that is not about education, and taxpayers' money is used to fund this. It is what is called... private-public partnership or a public-private partnership, and it doesn't work when education 
anything public about it is our money. Now, just on a, on a, on a slightly less salutary note, and sometimes dogs, we have to worry about these things too. Um, the three reporters involved um, found themselves in a bit of trouble because after asking questions about what's going on, about the brokers, um, something happened. A few days after they actually put this report together and Talwa was caught on a secret video, a message was left on a voicemail of one of the phones which has only ever been used to arrange meetings for this investigation. And this is what the message said. It said, G'day, bro, in a voice with an Australian accent. This message said, You're ringing a lot of people from one of the colleges to try to find out a lot of info that you have no interest or need to find out. I suggest you stop doing that because you'll probably find that you might get your fingers burnt. Thanks, pal. Yes, there's some people now involved in this report that don't want these people asking questions. So I thought that was very interesting, um, not just in terms of the VET, about what McKinsey would call the systemic problems. When you mix business and education, you have not just bits and pieces, not just anecdotes. It is a systemic problem. You've got someone who's interested in making money. You've got a system that's supposed to educate the people of the nation. And those two things do not mix. Now, We'll have some more information that relates to this after these messages. Um, but I have some good news as well, um, which we'll get after these messages because there's some new schools about to be built. And I'd just like to let the listeners know where those new state schools are going to be. Left After Breakfast presents the legendary Left After Lunch, a very special getting-to-know-you day and fundraiser where you will rub shoulders with legendary luminaries and swap stories with other legendary listeners. Tickets are $25 and $30. So come on down for Left After Lunch on Sunday the 1st of November from 1pm to 4pm at Eco Centre St Kilda Botanic Gardens. Visit 3cr.org.au for more information. Did you know most of Gippsland and southwest Victoria are covered in licences for unconventional gas and coal exploration? Gas companies are trying very hard to get their hands on Victoria's precious farmlands. Are we going to let them? No. It's time to declare Victoria gas field free. The state government has launched another inquiry but won't commit to permanently protecting Victoria. So come and rally with the Lock the Gate movement and stand with the 64 gas-field-free communities on the steps of the State Library on Sunday, September 20th at 12 noon. Information? Quitcall.org.au Friends of the Earth is a 3CR supporter. had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're a proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Yes, welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And just before those messages, I promised I'd give you a bit of good news. There are some new schools being opened up, state schools in Victoria. Uh, The Labor government's doing that. I'll tell you where they are. One's in Cranbourne North. It'll be called the Casey Central East Primary School. That's good. There's one in Cranbourne West, and that's the Cranbourne Southwest Primary School. There's one in Clyde North, another primary school, another one in Epping North, another primary school. Um, There'll actually be a Moonda Central... Prep to Year 12 school opened up in Mernda. Wonderful, um, wonderful. Yeah, that's right. Congratulations to the parents up there. Mm. And there'll be another um, primary school, uh, and that will be opened in Mernda as well. That's the south of Mernda. Pakenham's going to get themselves a new primary school. And uh, Point Cook down there um, is also going to get themselves a new prep to Year 9 school. Now, you'll notice all these schools are in the growth corridors where all the people are moving into, so it makes sense. 
You build a school to educate the people where the people are. Isn't that great? That's actually in 2017. All those things will be open. So there we go. I mean, 2018, there's going to be some more, according to the state government, up in Armstrong Creek, which would be great. Uh, there'll be a precinct up there open down at primary school. Um, there'll be one opened up in Bannockburn, and there'll be one, one opened up in North Geelong, and there'll be one down in Torquay. So down, down there um, on the Bellarine Peninsula in Geelong, they're going to get some new state schools as well. This is all brilliant news. But not, not in the inner city. We need a, a, a state a primary school in the inner city, and uh, instead of that, we're going to get a Catholic uh, school down in the Docklands. But with everything to do with state education... Not to mention Haleybury. With, everything to, with, a, with everything to do with education in, in Victoria, there's always a but. Yes. Oh, it's a big but. Private-public partnerships. There will indeed. All these schools aren't going to be built by the government for the people. They're going to be tendered out Tend it out to businessmen who want to make some money out of these public schools. The buildings themselves will be built by private consortiums who will then lease them back to the government for 25 years. And the whole idea is, of course, that the government doesn't have to cough up the money to build them. They just have to pay for them over 25 years, pay more money than they would have if they just coughed up, coughed up and built the damn things themselves. Why is it? I just don't even get it. I mean, I've just outlined a systemic problem with mixing businessmen with education. Businessmen want to make money. Businessmen are responsible to their shareholders. Businessmen do things for themselves. Businessmen are self-interested. That's the way capitalism works. And they mix this up with the idea of education. Education is a system where a bunch of people, call us a country, get together and for mutual benefit make sure that the largest number of people get the best education because in the 21st century the well-educated population is the most significant asset that a bunch of people, let's call us a nation, can possibly have. And we can't even do that in Victoria. We can't even just say, right... The government's got some money. they got some taxes. What are we going to spend the taxes on? Let's build some schools. I mean, you can't even do that. You've got to get business people involved. I don't, I don't even begin to understand it. This whole idea that private's good, that the private is good and public is bad, it's, it's crazy. It gets back to where you get capital from. Our tragedy was that we didn't nationalise the banks in 1949, I've decided. <laughs> but we will eventually. We will get there because... Um, there's some very interesting books coming out which shows that our economic system is on its knees. A lot of the uh, things that we just take for granted and the romancing that we do about our private rather than public, uh, it's coming to a head. Yep. It'll be very interesting at the end of the week to see whether or not the uh, Fed actually raises the interest rates. But whatever happens... Uh, Recession, the big R is, it may not be right with us now, but I have no doubt it's around the corner. And we'll learn the lesson again of the 30s and the 40s, and um, we will learn that you can't mix public and private. We will learn that there was a reason why we had uh, a board of public works which built our public schools, and we'll learn that there was a reason why we withdraw, we withdrew state aid to private schools years and years ago. But uh, we will learn, uh, and here at the Dogs, we remember our history. Yes, indeed. Thank you for that, Jane. You're listening to the Dogs program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And just to finish off the program, something very interesting has come up, and I, I think it's fascinating. Here at the Dogs, uh, we've always said that public funds should go to public education. Public funds should not go to private education. Um, and in Australia, that seems to be a very radical idea, but around the world, of course, what we're saying is just very conservative. It used to be, it used to be the accepted uh, wisdom in Australia. It's only been since the 1980s, uh, and this strange ideology that they have pushed at us, that uh, we haven't learnt these very basic lessons. Yeah, but in Australia, I mean, we have a few education ministers, and here in Victoria, we have James Molino. Um, and James Molino has done a very interesting thing. Mm. Um, James Molino can't take away money from the private school lobby because there are too many vested interests that will not allow him to. We wish he had a bit of guts and would just do it, but he's, but he's not. So if he's not going to do that, he's come up with, I think, a very interesting workaround. Because a new funding model for Victorian schools, this is, this is primary and secondary schools, has just been released by the Victorian government. 
And um, I'd just like to report what the educator has to say about these, these reforms. They're very interesting because the government in Victoria plans to introduce a new measure of disadvantaged students in order to determine its allocation of education funds under what's left of the Gonski Agreement. Now, just listen to this. This is quite interesting. For the first time in Australia, the education levels of students' parents will be used in order to assess the extent of disadvantage that the school's community has. Now, let's just think about that. That's quite an interesting and radical idea. Mm. Um, Now, the reason I think that's interesting and radical is that all education research for the last 20 years looks about all the, talks about and tries to assess all the different factors that affect a child's chances of success in education. So, the quality of the school has a relationship with the child's success in education. But the one thing that pops up again and again as the most significant correlation, not causation, correlation with success in education is the education level of the parents. If the parents are committed to education as an idea of benefit for the child, then that child is much more likely to have success in education. So if the, if the parents value education, the child will succeed. If the parents do not value education, then the child is less likely to succeed. Nothing to do with the school, although school, schooling does have an effect, a far larger correlation, a, far, a significant correlation between student success. Um, it doesn't go with the school, it goes with the parents. Now, this is a very interesting approach because NAPLAN results will also be considered with additional funds of $2,000 for every student that did not achieve a minimum level in Year 5. Now, the age reports that the state has $747 million to distribute, with $566 million being allocated to state schools over the next four years. That's because the difference has just been thrown at the Catholic school system because that was one of the first things the Labor government did when they got into office. Now, along with new funds came increasing targets for attainment, so they want more science literacy, more high resilience in students. How you measure that, I'm not quite sure. And um, they're trying to get trying trying to um, address the dropout rate from year nine to twelve. Now, this allocation methods are designed to help those disadvantaged students who may be at schools in neighbourhoods which are not inherently disadvantaged. Now, this is very interesting because if you target funding and allocated based upon the education level of the parents in Victoria, the state school system is going to get a significantly larger amount of money than the private school system. Because what happens is that people who take their children out of the state school system and pay the money, and as Turnbull was talking about sacrifice, blah, 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 um, they're valuing education with, 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 with their money. And there are many students in state schools who are immensely able, um, but their parents don't necessarily have um, higher education levels themselves. And this means, of course, that if you're using this model, if you're using the model Melinda's talking about, the state schools are going to get significantly more money than the private schools. Um, and so, as a result, <laughs> as a result, uh, the state opposition under Matthew Guy thinks this is a terrible idea and he doesn't want to do this at all. And he uses the old-fashioned business co- competition model and he says these changes would not be incentives for schools to be, um, in, in a business way, successful. <laughs> But I just think it's a fascinating idea. I, I really do. I, I think it's worth examining. It's not by any means ideal, because all you do is you take all the money out of the private school system, you give it to the public school system, and quite frankly, you save money and you get better education for a larger number of people. Because then every single parent in Australia who sends their child to a school will be very politically active in terms of making sure that their school's a good school. Not just some. You don't, you don't, you don't take the active parents out of the state school system and throw them into the private school system. No. I thought that was what Abbott and company have been trying to do. You know, the Catholic system's been trying to do that for a long, long time. And it's interesting, the state government also, and this is, I think, is a good move, um, giving principals more active support. 
um, in terms of money and time. And I, I think if I was a state school principal at the moment, uh, my hat goes off to you. You're working in a very, very difficult situation. And congratulations for staying sane and doing the job. Imagine. The, the job you do as a principal in a state school is an extraordinary job, and you should be supported as much as you possibly can. Imagine being a principal in a new school with a private-public partnership where you had to go cap in hand to the person or to the business that actually built the school to get a bit of maintenance done. Uh, you know, really, really, that's shocking. Now, it's true that the, the, the new sort of process all goes on about accountability and all that sort of stuff, and if you have more measures, then obviously you can measure success more. I mean, all the normal silly educational tropes about assessment still still go hand in hand with the NAPLAN stuff. But this idea, I, I think, should give some hope in these terrible times to parents of children in state schools, because it means that your school is likely to get more money. And the private school down the road, by definition, will get less. Um, but as I say, this is all deck chairs on, deck chairs on the Titanic. There, there is no other solution to Australia's education woes than to just very simply do what most people do in the world, which is take the money away from the business people and put it back in the hands of the people who it benefits, which is us, the taxpayers. I'm going to say this again. The political will to create a successful state school system in Australia would be immense if that is what you did. Because if all parents sent their children to state schools and those that did not wish to had to fund that choice for themselves in total, then the political will to create an effective state school system, it will be monitored closely. You'd have education ministers under pressure. They'd be resigning. They'd be doing the best they could. That's what you want because that's actually the way democracy works, I suppose. But you've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. Um, you've been listening to Gene and myself talking about the issues of the day. We've had a very interesting program, I hope. Just to recap, if you're interested in us, you can get hold of us. You can find out what we're talking about on our website, which is www.adogs.info. www.adogs.info. Um, and if you want to contact the station and give us a, you can do that as well, of course. But this is 3CR. This is community radio. This is one of the places, and as some of our listeners um, so, so say every week, this is the only place you get the truth about these issues. Um, we take the news, we review the news when it comes to education in Australia. And Jean, of course, puts up her press releases, um, the last one, of course, we've had today. Again, if you want to hear more about us, go to our website at www.adogs.info. But until next week, when we'll be continuing the fight to defend government education, until next week, it's a bye for now. Bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe. Says, killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes. Says Joe, what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill 
I know. 